0: Good morning, everybody. Thank you for watching for week two of our sermon series, Lord of the Impossible. About 20 years ago, I graduated college at UNC Asheville, and I knew that I felt led to go into ministry, so I was going to go to seminary somewhere, but I didn't know where. And so I graduated in the spring of 2001, and then, while I moved back home for a couple of months, I was going to move in with some guys and a log cabin in Asheville that my friend actually built—that's a whole different story. And uh, but before that could happen, 9/11 happened, and similar to the pandemic, everything just stopped for a long time. Everything just shut down, and so the plans got put on hold. And I didn't know where I was going to work in Asheville. I didn't know I didn't have any kind of income, but I moved up there anyway. And I went up, and I eventually moved in a few weeks after 9/11. And I said, "God, I need a job. I don't have a job." And I applied everywhere in town. And finally, I applied at a Lifeway Christian bookstore. Now, rest in peace, Lifeway Christian Bookstores, no more. But they were a wonderful. I was glad uh, to have a job. I got paid four dollars and twenty-five cents an hour, which seems like it was from the 1950s, but it wasn't. It was 2001. Um, But I was thankful for it, and. When it came time to pay my first month's rent, uh, living in that house, it was $300 a month. My first paycheck was $300.96. And I said, thank you, Lord. I got 96 cents. I'm going to go to Taco Bell and get a taco, you know. And, uh, but it wasn't enough. That income was great, but I was barely getting by, literally. And so I continued to look for jobs. And I would go online, and I would search, and I was praying and Weeks would go by, and one day I went to the PepsiCo website and I applied there just thinking maybe something, and I applied, and they called me, and they said, yes, we want you to be a warehouse associate, which I would find out would mean put potato chips onto a truck. That's what that title really meant. But it was great. It paid well. It paid over $10 an hour, and I managed to save that money to prepare for that fall For seminary, and the job was basically just walking around a warehouse, picking different types of Fritos and lays and all this stuff, and sticking them into uh, boxes, then loading them onto trucks. And as a young guy, it was a great, it was a great job. But I remember there was this manager. He was the manager of the whole warehouse, and he literally never spoke to any of us that were doing that job. He, he, He would just walk around. He would just walk around. And I remember saying to a coworker, uh, what's up with that guy? Why doesn't he ever talk to us? He doesn't even know our name. And he said, you know, I think I have an idea of what he's doing. I took a business class in college. And I remember in that class, there's a thing called management by walking around, where you simply are just present. You're physically present, but you're not really emotionally invested, but you're leading by just walking around. And I thought, what is kind of, a, kind of an aloof uh, deal? I mean, it was, a good, it was a good gig. He was sort of like Lundberg from the movie Office Space, if you've ever seen that. Like, why are you really here? I mean, you know, you were there, but you're not actually engaged. But I got paid well. And once the chips expired for one day over, we got free chips. So win-win there. Now, we, we've all had jobs where we worked uh, with managers And and leaders that were engaged, that knew your name, that, that were actively involved in your work. And, of course, we appreciate that type of manager better than the aloof, distant person. And they remember your name. There's one TV show that I just love that shows how CEOs want to get their hands dirty, right? And they're showing their care. It's really like a long commercial. It's the show Undercover Boss. I love Undercover Boss. It's, it's formulaic, you know what's gonna happen. Um, they put on like a fake, fake teeth and they dye their hair and they pretend like they don't know how to run a cash register. Or maybe they don't know. Um, and then at the end they say, well here's $10,000 to go back to school and we're gonna buy you a car. And you, we don't like you so much. We're gonna, might let you go. But I love that they, of course, they surprise them at the end. And as we're going to see today in Genesis chapter 18, God is not an undercover boss. And God is not some aloof middle manager managing by only walking around. But that in Genesis chapter 18, God takes the form of a man and visits Abraham and Sarah together. And it starts, Genesis 18, starting in verse 1. The Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. He looked up and saw three men standing near him. So these men just appear in front of Abraham's tent. When Abraham saw them, he ran from the tent entrance to greet them and bowed down to the ground. In John Wesley's notes of the the Bible here, Wesley has a great point where he says, Religion should not destroy but improve good manners and teaches us to honor all men. That Abraham is going to show them extravagant generosity and hospitality, which was a great, a great virtue of the ancient world. And it says in verse 3, he said, My Lord, if I find favor with you, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. Let me bring a little bread that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. So they said, Do as you have said. And Abraham hastened into the tent to Sarah and said, Make ready quickly three measures of choice flour, knead it, and make cakes. Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to the servant, who hastened to prepare it. That would have been a big extravagance, that part right there. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. So God has taken human form and he's eating a meal at Abraham's house. They said to him, where is your wife, Sarah? And he said, there in the tent. Then one said, I will surely return to you in due season. And your wife, Sarah, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent entrance behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. It had ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I have grown old and my husband is old, shall I have pleasure? So this isn't a laughter of faith. It's a laughter of doubt. I don't blame her necessarily because she can't have children. She's 90 years old. The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? And say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? At the set time I will return to you in due season and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. But he said, oh yes, you did laugh. If you doubt the Bible has any uh, historical veracity, here's a little piece of Genesis where it's sort of he said, she said. You said that. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. No, you didn't. You know, it's, it, he's recording what actually happened. Now, what we're experiencing here is a visible appearance of God to man. A theophany, as, as it's described. Theos, meaning divinity or God. And it's an encounter with God and man together. And this is one of the most lovely accounts of, you could say, a pre-incarnate Christ, or the just the Lord visiting Abraham. And Abraham knew who was coming to his tent, because in the chapter previous, Genesis 17, the Lord visits Abraham and tells him explicitly, your wife Sarah will have a son, and you are going to name him Isaac. And Sarah will become, basically, he says, a mother of all nations. And the, the that that the descendants of Abraham would be as numerous as the stars in the sky. So Abraham knew it was coming. But he didn't know when. He knew that the Lord of the impossible was going to do something impossible. That they had been praying and waiting for for years and years. But he did not know when. And here the Lord appears. And I love how in this passage the Lord speaks to them in human terms. He doesn't say... Show me your wife, Sarah. He asks questions that he already knows the answers to, a lot like Jesus does. Where is your wife, Sarah? He knows where Sarah is, but he's he's engaging with them in a human way. So Abraham is showing hospitality, one of the greatest virtues of the ancient world, and he realizes these are divine beings in my house. So that would maybe add to the pressure of giving his very best. You know I was researching now as I said earlier Sarah was 90 years old when this story was written or what happened. And I was researching who is the oldest woman to naturally conceive a child in history. And apparently according to the internet in the year 2019 a 67-year-old woman in China naturally had a child and she's believed to be the oldest woman to conceive A child. Well, that's not true because Sarah takes the record. At least, well, it's not really natural, but still, 90 years old. Abraham at this time was 100 years old, and Sarah would live to be 127. So, Abraham had been praying for years for a child, and Sarah seems to have given up, and who can really blame her? She was 90 years old, hence her laugh. It sounds ridiculous. And this is why God maybe calls out Sarah's laugh. The Lord visits and pronounces to her something that sounds impossible. And as we've seen, the Lord of the impossible, well, he always can do the impossible. With us, it's not possible. With God, anything is possible? I mean, how would you respond if the Lord said something to you that just sounded completely impossible? It, it's Sarah. It was processing. Could God's promises be this over the top? Could He really be better than expected? We've all heard the phrase: "It sounds too good to be true." And underneath that statement is a little bit of cynicism and doubt, a mindset that is in full effect in our country today. It sounds too good to be true. So, and you immediately write it off intellectually and emotionally, but what really drives that statement is arrogance and pride. You're really saying, I don't think that's possible, so therefore it can't be true. People are really good about becoming the arbiter of right and wrong. And because I think it, therefore it is true. Or because I feel that way, right? Therefore it is right. But that is a critical mistake. mistake. People always seem sometimes to get in their own way. And just because it sounds too good to be true doesn't mean it can't be true. For example, our Western mindset... Our postmodern way of thinking has overtly or covertly taught us that faith and feelings are bad or at best unreliable. And people who are logical and analytical and fact-based, well, they're strong. Now, I don't have a problem with analytics and facts. Far from. It. I think God uses those things too to show himself in our lives. But we need to recognize that a lot of times people today think that people with faith and feeling are weak. But our, post, our postmodern rationalism is offended by anything that seems to bypass the mind. And our proud minds tell us that anything worse, worth knowing must pass through the mind first. But sometimes, God has to remove our rationality. Dare I say, remove our confidence in ourselves, or even our arrogance, in, in, in our own ability, before we really hear what he's saying, before we really hear his promises, before he can really heal you or your situation, he may have to tear down a bit of that arrogance and that mindset that says, that is too good to be true. It can't be possible. Well, in that moment, that's a turning point. Pay attention to that. Because the life of faith is saying that he is the Lord of the impossible, And just because I can't necessarily think it is possible, it doesn't mean that I have all knowledge of all things. God is capable of way more than we can even see or imagine or perceive. And the Lord appears to Abraham in person. He then comes down in the form of a man and seeks out his wife, Sarah, by name, and seeks her out personally. The Lord's already talked to Abraham in Genesis 17. This trip to Abraham's tent is to Sarah. And he's, he's engaging with her in her doubt, in her mindset that is saying, this is too good to be true. I, this, I'm laughing right now. I'm going to name my son Isaac. Isaac, which means laughter. I'm going to name, I, this is too good to be true. But the Lord could see the secrets of Sarah's heart. He heard her prayers. He, he engages with her in her doubt. And he's present with her. Let's hear this word again in verse 14. This rhetorical question that the Lord asks. And it, make note of this. In a very Jesus way. Jesus talks like this. Which says, is anything too wonderful for the Lord? At the set time I will return to you. And Sarah shall have a son, and what he speaks will come to pass. Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? Of course, he knows the answer to that question. Other translations say, Is anything too hard for the Lord? Jesus knows the answer to that rhetorical question. It's more of a question for Sarah Is anything too hard for the Lord? Jesus, of course, knows the answer to that question, but do you? Do you know? Is anything too hard for the Lord? What is your answer to that question? Maybe you're scared about your future employment or your college or your direction in life. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Maybe you're raising those kids by yourself and it's a great burden to take on and you're exhausted. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Maybe you have poor health, or someone you care about does. You've got health concerns, and it's a burden for you day after day. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Maybe you don't know how you're going to manage a career, and, and maybe continuing to be a homeschool professional that you didn't ask to be, but now you are, is anything too hard? For the Lord, maybe you're racked with anxiety and worry about the coronavirus and what is to come day by day, and and the, your heart is fixated on the news, and you're overcome more and more by worry and anxiety, and it is a weight upon your soul. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Maybe your marriage is on the rocks. And you don't know if you're going to last another day or another week together, and you don't know how to say, I'm sorry. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Maybe you have an addiction you can't shake, it keeps you up at night. Is anything too hard for the Lord? See, like Sarah, we need to be reminded that nothing is too hard. For the Lord, nothing. Because, like Sarah, we have all experienced crushing disappointments. Like Sarah, we have waited for blessings that always seem to be beyond reach. Like Sarah, we are prone to cynicism. It, it sounds too good to be true, it, it can't be true. Like Sarah, We can laugh off God's promises, writing them off as too good to be true. Like Sarah, we can be prone to despair because we want answers to our prayers now. But you see, the Lord of the impossible is with us. The God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Sarah will not fail us, will not forsake us. The God of Abraham brings blessings to those who love Him, but He does it in His own way, and His own time, in a time where all of your resources may be exhausted, and you had a rent payment of three hundred dollars, and you didn't know how you're going to pay it, and then you get a check for three hundred dollars and ninety six cents. He comes through every time, every time. The God of Abraham, the Lord of the impossible. There's a reason why even the Muslim faith considers Abraham to be a father of all the nations. Because even they can see the value of the life of Abraham. That God honored this man's faith and and, and Sarah. And did a miracle through them. That through which Jesus would be born into their lineage. That God knew that it was through this man would come the the rod of Jesse, if you will, that that out of the line of David would come the king, the Lord, the risen Lord Jesus, perfectly God and perfectly man. Hear what Paul actually writes about Abraham, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. He writes about Abraham in Romans chapter four. Without being weakened in faith, he didn't consider his own body. Already having been worn out, he was about 100 years old. In the deadness of Sarah's womb, yet looking to the promise of God, he didn't waver through unbelief, but grew strong through faith, giving glory to God. See, God does his best work when only a miracle will do the work. The Lord of the impossible may often wait and, to save us, when it's clear that only he can save us. Are you at the end of your rope or someone you know at the end of their rope, are you like Sarah and you think it's never gonna happen? What I asked for will never come to pass and you're about to give up. Well, I want you to know that there is healing in his wings. We can trust the Lord of the impossible Let me pray for you. God of heaven, we thank you that there is healing in your presence. And I pray for those who are listening or watching right now. And like Sarah, they are tired. And they're worn out and they don't know where to turn. And we maybe have given up dreaming big dreams. We've given up being hopeful for the future we, d- we think this is as good as it's going to get and I pray Holy Spirit for you to f- come like living water upon cracked and parched souls who think who, have, who, are, who are settling right now they're settling for maybe where they are in their relationship with you if they're a Christian or they're settling for where they are in their life and they're, they're settling for way less than they should. Because God, nothing with you is impossible. And God, you will bring the healing at the right time that's perfect for each and every soul that trusts in you. Abraham and Sarah, at the very end, they were getting extremely old. They thought it was never gonna happen. But Lord, as you knew that where their flesh would fail, your spirit and presence would be faithful to the end. So, God, I, I pray encouragement for those who listen. I, gotta, I, I do pray for that miracle that someone's asking for, if it is your will. We pray for healing for those who are burdened for themselves and someone in their life. I pray that they would open their heart to you. Let the tears come if they will. God, that, that, that sometimes weeping can precede the healing as your spirit moves within us, may you bring your healing, God. May we surrender more and more of our lives to you and, and let us receive your healing. We have to lay down our pride sometimes to receive a good gift. So I pray that we lay down our pride and our confidence and our own ability and our, and our cynicism and, and with open hands, receive your healing upon our lives because you are the healer, you wanna heal all people. Physically, spiritually, emotionally. Heal our memories. Heal our past. Come Holy Spirit. Heal your people in Jesus' name. Amen.